before I get into the episode, I wanted to give a bit of a big picture perspective. A number of people have asked me what I'm trying to achieve, where I'm trying to go with the podcast. Very loosely, I'm going on a theme of first footprinting, second reduction, which starts with today's episode, by the way. And then we'll be jumping between offsetting and working on initiatives that go beyond me or my businesses that contribute in some positive way. After that, we'll see how I go and we'll jump between all sorts and whatever I find interesting. But I guess what I want is that the podcast becomes a resource that I wish I'd found when I first started on all this. I felt a bit isolated, unsure where to start, pretty ignorant and slightly overwhelmed how I should embark on the process of learning, acting and improving on these issues. Ultimately, I hope if someone else finds themselves somewhere similar to where I was, they find this podcast, they use it to help make change happen in their own lives, to help guide them, to help learn, and I hope it makes it smoother and easier for them and more of a shared experience as they go through that journey. I guess I'm inviting them to come along and learn as I learned and then act as I acted. I also hope that as I become more knowledgeable and more skilled at this audio art form of podcasting that I'm also learning at the same time, that it becomes increasingly interesting and engaging and insightful, not just for people who, who are new to all this, but also people who are knowledgeable about the subject too. So that's my hope. That's where I'm going with it. I love that you're already along on this journey with me. Without further ado, fasten your plastic seatbelts and prepare for episode seven of Climate Change Unfolding, Single-use plastic, not fantastic. Every piece of plastic that's ever been made still exists. It might be melted down or broken into smaller pieces or remoulded, but it's somewhere, someplace still existing. It varies a lot depending on the type of plastic, but for the most part, it takes between 400 and 1,000 years for a piece of plastic to decompose. So if I eat an energy bar or a yogurt or a bag of crisps and then throw away the packaging, it's single-use plastic. I don't even know how many times I've done that in my life. What does it mean when I throw it away? Throw it away is a funny expression, really. Literally picking something up and throwing it away from myself. The away thing is the critical word here because once it's away, it's easy for us not to think about it. I'm always fascinated by psychology and the way people think and how the human psyche interacts with the world around us. There's an academic expression to do with decision-making called what you see is all there is. Or Wizziati for sure. I don't actually know how they say it. I've only ever seen it written down. Wizziati. That's my best stab at it. (laughs) This is very relevant here. Once we throw something away, it's out of sight. And therefore, we can pretend it barely exists. I say barely because we, we have some kind of superficial understanding that it goes to a landfill or it's dealt with in some way by someone else. But reality is we have very little appreciation for the quantity we throw away or where it actually goes and what effect it has when we send it away. Once it's away, it's pretty fair to say we don't think about it. It's kind of funny how completely acceptable it is in a society to throw away some single-use packaging into a bin that someone picks up and puts into a massive pile somewhere where we don't have to look at it. And that's, that's completely acceptable in, a, in society, but it's completely irresponsible for someone to take that same piece of plastic and throw it away on the side of the road. Either way, the plastic's sitting there for 500 years, so what's the difference? Realistically, the primary difference is that it's a lot easier for us to forget it's there if it's not in our sight. (laughs) That's why people hate litter so much. You know, when you collect the litter and put it in the bin, it just gets moved somewhere else and dumped somewhere else. (laughs) I know I'm not saying we should litter, of course. I mean, to the extent 
you know, we don't like it so much. We even pay people to pick up the litter that's in small piles on the side of the street where we can see it and take it to a big pile somewhere else where we can't see it. Surely the real society pressure should be on not using it in the first place rather than which pile you put it on. <laughs> Isn't that the primary issue here? Look, I know there's a, there's a bit more to it and it's not good to have plastic spread out all over our environment, but you get the general gist of what I'm saying. The average American creates two kilograms of waste a day. That's 730 kilos of trash every year. And I'm jumping, by the way, outrageously between Americanisms and Britishisms, and I apologize for that. Too long in different places, speaking to too many different people. It's a total mess. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> all right, so I know not all of that two kilograms is single-use plastic, but a good chunk of it is. About approximately half is, is in proper waste that's not decomposable like food waste and whatever else. Come along with me for a moment on a thought experiment. Imagine for a moment you're in your kitchen. Let's assume you're a responsible citizen that separates food waste, which you can compost in your garden, and recyclables that are collected from the front of your house each week. I'm going to talk about the rest of your rubbish or trash, <laughs> oh God. which is about a kilo a day per person. I'm going with an outrageously stereotypical assumption. I'm going to say there are two of you living in the house. If there's four, you can halve the timelines on all this. Or if you're on your own, you double them. After a few days, the rubbish bin in your kitchen is getting pretty full. So you, you eat your yogurt and you balance it on top. And, and so begins the game of bin Jenga, where whoever makes it collapse is the loser and they have to take the trash out. Only in this little thought experiment, there's no air quote away or out. You don't get to get rid of it. You don't get to throw it out where you don't have to think about existing anymore. It continues to exist just the same way as it would normally. But instead of being away, it does so in plain sight. So a few days later, the bin's overflowing. After two weeks, the entire kitchen cupboard under the sink is full. So you start piling it in the corner of the kitchen. And after a month, you have a significant size, disgusting pile in the corner of the kitchen. After three months, you've got over 300 kilos of trash lying around your kitchen, pretty much everywhere that there's space, there's trash piled high up against the walls. 300 kilos of plastic and all sorts of nonsense. Before we zone out of the figures, by the way, imagine how bulky one kilo of food packaging and plastic bags is. It's actually quite a big pile. It's not very heavy. It takes up a lot of space. So what does your kitchen look like now after six months? It's getting pretty hectic. It's spilling into your living room too. Kitchen's got a few paths where you can just walk to the sink and the fridge. And there's a quick growing pile in your living room. Let's just say this experiment starts... At the same time, you and your partner have your first child. If you incorporate all the kids' waste too, by the time your kid's three, we're talking about three tons of waste sitting in your house. You're probably going to find by this point that every room in your house has a big pile and some of the rooms are getting pretty dysfunctional. By five, you have dead zones in the house, sacrificial rooms in the house where you pack as much of it into as possible and you've still got piles all over the place in your other rooms too. It's getting pretty hectic. But on his 11th birthday, as a special treat, you sacrifice the entire bottom floor of your house and clear upstairs to live in. For a blissful period, you get to live without being surrounded by trash, just filling up the spare bits downstairs. You have to get in the house by a ladder, <laughs> which is a little bit dysfunctional, but a small sacrifice though, versus living in a disgusting, stinking mess of trash. After those blissful couple of years though, even that starts to fill up. And with a sinking feeling, you're left throwing things down the stairwell and you know what's coming. By the time your son's 18, you're clinging on to a few little rooms upstairs, you've got the piles going up the walls, and you're back into your same disgusting, almost unlivable mess. And by the time he's 25, you've given up on your house, you've moved on to a caravan in the garden. And by the time your grandparents, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm getting far, far down this rabbit hole. By the time your grandparents, every single corner of your house is full of stinking, slowly leaching and decaying rubbish all the way up to the windows, spilling out the doors, not just piled in the corner, but up to roof in most rooms. <laughs> How does your house look now? How does it smell? What's your son's attitude going to be towards single-use plastic? What's your attitude towards single plastic? Has it changed over the last 30 years? Is your son going to bring up his kid in the same way? Did you, by chance, somewhere in that process, start thinking, there's got to be a better way? Did you start by making choices in the supermarket that minimise packages? If you weren't sorting rubbish when you started, you can bet your ass you are now. A lot of questions that need answering. And a way has a lot to answer for. I might have spent a bit longer than I needed to underscoring that point, but I wanted you to really feel what it would feel like and imagine what it would be like if we couldn't throw it away. For those who are thinking it's a little bit ridiculous, it all goes to a well-organized landfill and, air quote, they reuse it, store it somewhere and do something good with it, Wake up and smell the coffee. I'm going to do a whole other episode in the future and waste and what happens to it when, we, when it goes away. But in short, all the options kind of suck. Some more than others, admittedly. But probably the best case is it goes to a well-organized landfill or, or dead zone. Like the early areas of your house that you chose to sacrifice because they're not as important as the others. You get whole big areas where we've written off the ecology and the environment just to, uh, just to be dump zones. Even with landfill, there's all sorts of issues. There's greenhouse gas emissions, water pollution, ecosystem effects, but that's for another day. I'm going to tackle it another time. Remember, that's pretty much best case, apart from recycling, which is only possible with certain plastics. Another thing that can happen to all our waste that we throw away is that it ends up in the ocean. And 8 million tons of plastic ends up in the ocean each year. And I read that and I started to think, what does 8 million tons even look like? You know, how much actually is that? What if you made a big pile? What would it even look like? What if it washed up on all the world's beaches and how spread out would it be? You know, is that like 10 plastic bottles a mile or how much is it? So I found out how many miles of coastline there is in the world. Google's all over that. And I did the maths and the results just blew me away. Get this. If you walked the entire coastline of the world and dropped 17 kilos of plastic every single step along the way, you'd hit 8 million tons by the time you'd finished. Every step... 17 kilos, every beach, headland, bay, every huge continent or every tiny little tropical island, all up the thousands of miles of the Chilean coast, through Central America, through the States, around almost the limitless bays and expanse of northern Canada, every step dumping 17 kilos of dirty plastic. And when you get round Canada, you go back down the other side, all the way down the, the east side of the Americas until you join the same point. And then you don't stop there. You go over to Africa. You've got the entire Europe and all the way around Russia and Asia and every single one of the thousands of Pacific islands. If you walk 12 hours a day at a decent walking pace, non-stop, it would take you 22 years to walk the world's coastline. Every single one of those steps, you'd be dumping 17 kilos of plastic. That is mind-blowing to me. And that's how much we dump every year, right? The next year, we do it again. <laughs> you know, if you're like me and you want to see what what's 17 kilos of plastic look, even look like, I collected it from all my neighbors and I laid it out on the grass. And it's a lot more than you think. 
you know, plastic doesn't actually weigh that much. Single-use plastic is just fluffy little plastic bags and all sorts of crap. And I made a video and posted it on the Catanal Facebook page. I'll, I'll, I'll try and link to it in the show notes if you want to see it. When you see that, imagine what it's like. Think of a beach you know, walk along it. Every step you take 17 kilos and dump it on the beach. And that's just in one year, remember? What does it look like after 10 years? It's knee-deep in plastic. It's disgusting. It's got to stop. I can't believe the scale. And I can't believe how bad I am at grasping numbers when I've got 8 million written in front of me. Oh, that sounds like a lot, you know. But if you think about it, you know, there's 7 billion of us. That's not actually that much when you think about it. But when you break it down, you actually look at what it is. It's terrifying. I think if we were better at understanding big numbers, we'd probably be better at acting about it too. Some of my most memorable experiences were on the ocean when I was growing up and as an adult in rivers. Rivers are my happy place and the same is happening in the rivers. It's getting stuck all the way down and a lot of it's washing into the ocean but it's still getting into every little part of that ecosystem, into the birds, into the fish, into the, the silt and into the roots and the rocks. It's filtering into every part of the ecosystem from the bottom up. It's disgusting, in my opinion, and it's got to stop. I don't want to be a part of it anymore, you know, especially when I think of it like this and the reality of what we're actually doing. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So anyways, I took two of my three companies, Cat and Al and Nile Stand Up Paddleboard, to be single-use plastic-free. I've also the whole Uganda operations for the, my third company, Love It, Live It, which is the area I've got most control over, also plastic-free. I feel a million times better for doing it. And as it turned out, I saved a bunch of money on the way. So here's the story of how I did it. Hopefully it'll be interesting to you and maybe it'll be helpful if you fancy doing the same. I made a list of all the things associated with my businesses that I could think of that my businesses use. I've already done this with my carbon emissions. I had a lot of good values for, and quantities for that too. So most of the work was done, but it was pretty straightforward, especially if you're not worried about values, you could easily just list it off. It very quickly became obvious to me with the figures and the quantities that there were a couple of real heavy hitters that represented the vast majority of my single-use plastic use. First of those was plastic bottles. Tap water in Uganda is not drinkable. So when I bought Kite the Nile about six years ago, all the clients, the staff on the trips, would drink from half-litre plastic water bottles. I did some calculations based on the typical amount people drink on a trip and the number of clients a year we now have, plus all the staff that join them. And it works out, based on my guesstimate calculations that are about 9,000 plastic bottles a year. 9,000, holy crap. Forget the environment for a sec, that works at $3,650. That's straight up ridiculous. So I bought three water filters for $30 a pop and some 20 liter refillable bottles on the, for the trips to take out in the vehicles. I bought some reusable metal water bottles for people to use if they don't already have their own bottle. This year, even with the initial outlay of the filters, the refills and the metal bottles and everything, the total cost adds up to $150. That's a saving of three and a half thousand dollars. <laughs> I can't believe we weren't even doing it. And there I was a bit miffed about this episode it's taking me above my SoundCloud limit. Now I've got to pay 200 bucks or something for hosting a podcast. <laughs> In reality, I didn't just change it overnight. I'd already started making changes over the last few years and some of the more obvious places. And some of those savings are for clients also, rather than just for me, as water wasn't included in all of my trips. You know, so they would bring their own water bottles. But if I take the way Cat and I used to run, imagine the number of clients I have now and the way I now run it. I'm saving over $2,000 a year. That's amazing. But that's not all. 
I'm also saving single-use plastic and I'm saving greenhouse gas emissions and we get general good vibes with the clients who care about sustainability and don't want to see plastic wasted and I'm now offering water on all trips rather than just selected trips and they even get it when they come home or if they want to come back after the trip I'm being super liberal letting them have as much water as they want so the clients get added value too. It's a complete and utter no-brainer win-win-win. This brings up something that's actually been a bit of a reoccurring theme for me and it's so important. I'm going to segue for a moment from single-use plastic to address it head-on. Before I get going on sustainability properly, I had this idea that it's always morals versus profit. What I mean by that is the most profitable thing to do is to be really wasteful and not caring about the environment. You couldn't go too far down the sustainable business line, otherwise you wouldn't make any money. And if your priority goes too far towards profit, and you don't do anything or care about sustainability at all, then you become increasingly guilty and your morals pull you back a bit. And you know, so you have this balance, the opposing pulls, morals versus profit. People's morals obviously vary significantly, of course, and that's why you have the whole spectrum of different businesses, and that's what I thought at least. But for years, I wavered in the middle somewhere until I eventually decided I, I didn't care anymore if I made a bit less money. I'm going to commit to sustainability and see what happens. And once I set off down that route, I realized the morals versus profit thing is really not the only reality. In fact, from my experience, it's a complete myth. Straight away, I got bookings that were directly associated with the changes I'd made. Immediately, I encountered savings like this plastic bottle. And the, the opportunities on the horizon that, that I haven't talked about at all are potential to be massively transforming for my business in a very positive way. It's really exciting. And it's just totally debunking that previous idea that I had in my head, you know, and you add on top of that that I already feel better about the businesses and myself and prouder of my businesses and where they're going and happier to go to work in the morning, It's you know, which has real value too. It's such an important thing actually to address this myth because as long as it stays, in my opinion at least, as long as it stays as bottom line versus the morals, you know, and that's how the public perceives this problem, the number of people engaging is going to stay on the fringes. It's going to be relatively few. Anyway, today's episode is about single-use plastic. So let me get back on track. I'm keeping track of all of this stuff, how it's profited the businesses, how much it's cost me, all of the changes that I'm making and I'm going to continue to make. I'm going to do a whole episode on it to really do this justice. So let me get back onto single-use plastic for now. My second big hitter for single-use plastic was our lunches. A high portion of our activities include a packed lunch which is often prepared early in the morning and then taken out with the trip and eaten halfway through the activity, normally on the banks of the Nile somewhere. So let me explain what our lunches used to be like a year or so ago. <laughs> I'm actually a bit embarrassed about this, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's important and, <laughs> and a running theme of the podcast does seem to be hovering on the edge of oversharing. So here's tortilla wraps with a few different types of filling, normally beef strips with veggies, salad, cheese. They come in a lightweight sort of see-through plastic bag to keep it sealed and contained. Then you get a, ch a chunk of fresh pineapple, which is also in a separate bag, obviously, because it's got juices. You get a small pack of biscuits, also in their own plastic packaging. And then you get a juice box, which I'm happy to say is not in a plastic bag, but the box itself is still single use and impossible to recycle here. Uh, then all of that used to be bundled up into another clear plastic bag to keep each person's various sort of lunch bits together in one place. So every client and every guide used to have one of these packed lunches. So we'd go through thousands of bags a year. So each of these lunches has four pieces of plastic packaging in it and five if you count the juice box. And just to add insult to single-use plastic injury, the cook most of the time used to bring the entire pack of six lunches for the day, or however many there were, in a bigger plastic bag. 
<laughs> so it's plastic on plastic on plastic. It sounds terrible now and really is when you talk about it and think about it from a plastic use, but it wasn't a major part of our operation. We're not spending a lot of time thinking about it and very little time focusing on these things. And it's just part of the culture and barely even notice. Sometimes I throw away thinking, oh, this is a bit crap, all this rubbish, but it's just one part of many, many cogs of a big machine. So it used to just go on day after day. Here's how we addressed it. Some things are easy and obvious, have changed, like the plastic bottles was pretty straightforward to work out a solution. But getting rid of these plastic bags, it wasn't immediately obvious. There's a reason we were using single-use plastic, and that's because it's everywhere. It's cheap, serves an excellent purpose of sealing the, the bags. So there's no immediate substitution solution. So I can't just sub in a different material instead of these plastic bags. So I laid out clear parameters, the goals, the rules, what I'm trying to achieve. Bit like my university days, I did a master's in mathematics, by the way, which I, I barely remember what the topics that I was doing, but it did teach me really to break things down and you know break down a complex problem. And only took me about 10 years to realize that that skill probably come from there, but anyway. <laughs> so I've got them written in my notebook, what I wrote down. Hold on. So here it is no single use plastic, no beef, and that's more about emissions, but that's a separate story. We'll get on to a different time. No peanuts, that's because of allergies, obvious. No Marmite foods, <laughs> by Marmite foods. I mean, it's not, it's not enough to be like, some people love it, some people hate it. It's gotta be broadly appreciated as tasty. And then another restriction, only stovetops. The guy who makes the lunches doesn't have an oven, so it's just stovetop. So then there are a few other targets too. We have to have options for all of the food allergies. We have to use local ingredients wherever possible. That brings down CO2 and supports local communities. Um, I wanted to increase the tastiness and how desirable the lunch is. I don't want just some crappy school dinner style packed lunch and I don't want to like compromise on quality just because I'm trying to cut out plastic bags. I don't want something that's good enough for people not to complain about. I want something that people are excited about, that they desire, you know, lunch that they look forward to and, and over delivers for what they expect down the river. The last thing in my notebook here is that I wanted to improve the healthiness, like cut down on the processed sugar and increase their energy levels for the afternoon's activity. So serving a, a good purpose there in terms of maximizing enjoyment for the afternoon as well. So that's the framework I'm working with. And I don't have an immediate obvious solution, even after some brainstorming for myself. So I started asking a very important question that I often ask myself, who can I ask that knows a lot more about this than I do? That can give me ideas to work from. We brainstormed with some different friends, my wife and a bunch of other people. Then I paid a friend who's, who's a cook and has worked at all sorts of cafes to spend a day experimenting with our ideas, coming up with solutions to solve a few of the more difficult solutions. And what we came up with was not only single-use plastic-free, but it was better. It was a lot better. It was healthier. It was tastier. It was more nutritious, more appealing. Instead of buying pre-packaged biscuits and juice boxes, our cook's buying base ingredients. And, and instead of opening up a sequence of plastic bags when people are opening the lunches, people open up in lunchbox trays to a delicious lunch. Here's one of our menu items that we settled on as an example. Grilled chicken with crispy Cajun potatoes and balsamic vegetables for a main course with a small hummus dip with a few carrot sticks on the side, a couple of date and sesame energy balls and a mixed fruit salad. Most of that is local ingredients. It's delicious lunch. No processed crap, so much better. And we put it all in reusable plastic tubs. So we wash them at the end of the day, send them back to the guy. Happy days, mission accomplished. Now the staff are with these day after day instead of with a slight reluctance and a sigh accepting the monotony of the old lunches. The staff are ordering lunches, an extra one on their day off and paying for it themselves. <laughs> it's better for the environment, lower carbon emissions, better product, no single use plastic. I wish we'd done it earlier. 
After tackling these major things, there was a whole bunch of smaller things like the loose ends, like our office staff lunches, for example, prepared by a different cook, a Uganda lady who's a little store very close to her office. She, she brings the lunch and to keep the dust off it and whatever, she's walking across the street and bringing it over to us. She puts this piece of plastic sheet over the top and then leaves it with us and we throw it away and then get another one the next day. And instead of doing that, she just flips over a plate upside down, sticks it on top and, she, and then brings the plate back with her. And she loves it because she, she doesn't have to pay for this single plastic each time. It's a, you know, again, it's a no brainer. It just required our attention on that particular thing and everyone was better off. So it's not all win, 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 obviously. There's some things that we had to buy at a slightly more expensive price because they use less plastic, for example. But given the savings elsewhere and the fact that these things we don't buy high volume of, it's not really a big deal and straightforward enough for us to do. So that was one category of stuff. Another example on our tours through the source of the Nile, we take drinks with us and have gin and tonics whilst out on the water while you're floating through the source, which is lovely. But um, I tried to avoid using throwaway cups before and, and got some washable cups, but the staff weren't really bought into it and didn't really care in the same way that I do. <laughs> and we'd slip back into buying them without it being approved, really it just sort of slowly started happening. And then we were back into it. So now we're back on track with that. And actually, we've got a whole episode coming up on bringing my staff on board and talking about that aspect. You know, that's a really important part of this whole process. It's, you know, if it's just a big campaign from me and they're not engaged, then it's never going to work. So a whole episode coming up on that soon. That wraps up the majority of the bits. There were a few other minor examples, but I don't need to go into all the details. Now, if you wrap together the bottles, the lunches, the cups, and a few other simple measures... I've covered, I reckon, basically 98% of our single-use plastic. In a way, it's easier to make a clear plan to tackle the major things that we buy a lot of regularly. Then the remainder, that last 2%, is really difficult. It's made up of all sorts of silly little things, all sorts of a whole mix of other things. It gets into everything. You know, We buy a new kettle, and I couldn't find a kettle that didn't have some kind of plastic packaging or single-use stuff. When we buy kayak paddles, for example, we, which admittedly we only do maybe once a year, each blade comes wrapped in its own separate little clear plastic bag to protect it, to make sure it's perfectly shiny by the time it gets to me. But, you know, it's completely unnecessary, really. These are things that are going to get smacked against rocks and whatever else. So, you know, coffee is good because it doesn't always come in plastic. You know, you can buy it in in paper bags but tea for example we can obviously ditch the tea bags that come in their own separate little mini sachets of plastic but i couldn't find a big box of tea that didn't have a cellophane wrap around it so you buy 200 tea bags at once in a cardboard box but then it's wrapped in single layer of plastic either we ditch tea altogether or we uh, accept a very very small amount of plastic even the food for our lunches most of it's fresh which is awesome but if we want dates or anything sweet Literally everything sweet comes in plastic here, probably because the ants are so invasive and track down anything and could just chew through paper bags. So if you've got bags of sugar that are made out of paper, like you do a lot in the Western world, and they, would totally, they wouldn't last the night, you know, they'd get charred through it by the ants. So uh, plastic keeps it out much better. So it's a higher performing material. So everything comes in that and dates are the same. But in my opinion, far, far better to buy one enormous bag of dates and use it for a hundred or many hundreds of clients than having every little pack of biscuits having their own little thing of packaging. So you use a lot less packaging, but really hard to cut it out completely. And this is the thing, this last 2% is so difficult. It's like it's totally embedded in society and the way we do things. And 
And if I want to exist within that society or my business to exist within that society, rather than just being hermits on a hill growing my own food, those last few percent really tough. We're up here in Uganda, especially where there's very limited uh, breadth of consumer choice and it's a near impossibility. Here's my take on the last few percent. First, we do what we can to continue to work out options to innovate, to remove those last few things. Second, I've done a few things to try and reuse other people's plastic. So we take other people's plastic bottles and use them instead of big airbags, you call them, that you put in the back of kayaks to add additional flotation when the kayaks are full of water. You use these big inflatable airbags, but we've used plastic bottles instead and reuse and recycling other people's operations plastic. And the amount we do that is far outweighs the amount we still have left. So it's kind of a weird plastic offset if you buy that. <laughs> Number three, and this is an important one, it's societal pressure. And we need to be a force that raises awareness and pulls people in the right direction. Where previously I might have just kept quiet and just done my own thing, the skill is mentioning these things and bringing it up without being a total dick. Basically, be, be nice, but also point out that you don't need a straw as it'll just get thrown away. And I have this awesome skill that I've known since a kid. It's mad. I get the glass and I kind of tilt it slowly towards my mouth and the liquid kind of pours out of the glass and slowly into my mouth and I don't even drop it most of the time. Sometimes I do. <laughs> the straw just go in the bin, so I don't need it. Okay, maybe I would come across like a dick like that. But you, you get the general gist. You know, you work out a way that, to say it and point out to the guys, no, I don't need a straw, thanks. I don't want to waste the plastic. And if you can make a joke out of it, all the better. So acting, and in a nice way, kind of showing that you're acting, pulls people around you in that direction too, sort of opens the door, makes it easy for you. And, you know, from a business perspective, when one business is single-use plastic-free and their competitor or partner business right alongside that they work alongside is being completely wasteful and using a bunch of plastic cups and, you know, the, the contrast is really obvious and it actually kind of pulls that partner business along with you a little bit and they make easy steps they're easy gains especially if you point out to them which i've done with at least one company here by the way you know how much dollars you're spending each year on on those plastic bottles and do you know how cheap these water filters are this is how much money you'd save and you'd be better for plastic and and people when you when you presented people like that it's kind of a no-brainer you know it's a win-win and, and a few people are actually taking it up so that's really neat when you've got those solutions that are just real obvious no-brainer even if you don't care about the environment you really should be doing this <laughs> so number four in tackling this sort of final two percent Engage with the suppliers as a customer. Use your wallet as a voice. So spend a little bit of money you saved on not using single-use plastic in other places on slightly more expensive items and tell the person, and this is really important that a lot of people don't, tell the person why you bought their product. I literally bought this because it's not wrapped in plastic. That's something they want to know as a business owner and it will make a lot of difference to someone who's acting to reduce plastic but thinks nobody cares. It's good for them to know that you bought from them for that reason and they made that money exclusively for that reason. It's also good if you can't buy something that doesn't have any plastic to ask someone, by the way, do you have any toilet rolls that aren't covered in plastic? Yeah, I don't like using single-use plastic. I'd prefer not to buy stuff with, that's wrapped in plastic. Do you have any? No, sorry, we don't have any in stock. Oh, no worries. I'll just try in the supermarket across the way. Thanks very much for your help. You know, you're not being a dick but you're making the point that plastic matters and it matters to the consumer. So that's my take on, at least on this last few percent. 
Do what you can, be as creative and ingenious as you can to get as low as you can with these last few percent. Keep talking about it to people, keep leading the way, keep opening doors for others to follow, but don't get yourself into a tortured, guilt-ridden mess about that last few percent. Just do what you can. If you get angry about some excessive waste that you can't avoid, transform that anger into action. Get onto some websites, sign some petitions, You know, do something else that, that reduces plastic elsewhere. Use that as motivation. So that kind of wraps up my thoughts. Kai the Nile, now stand up paddleboarding and love it, live it Uganda operations, which is the area I have good control over, are all now, as of the 1st of July, 2018, single-use plastic free. If you've got any ideas about this or thoughts, or if you happen to see one of my businesses using some single-use plastic, call me out on it. Drop me an email. <laughs> love to hear from you. Sam at climatechangeunfolding.com. And if I can, I'll change it. Before wrapping up this episode, I just want to highlight what amazing energy there is around this plastic-free movement all over the world right now. Some of it's been pretty negative. Oh my God, look at all this stuff that we're using. But people are acting, they're engaged from huge corporations to small children doing litter picks on local beaches all around the world. People in it are changing. Human beings have amazing ability to adapt, to evolve. There's this Huge movement for Plastic Free July. So check out the hashtag actually, hashtag Plastic Free July, which is perfect timing because that's exactly when we're initiating this properly. So come along with me on this journey to rid yourself from this thing that's leaving such devastating impacts on our world and get involved in Plastic Free July and Plastic Free August, Plastic Free September <laughs> and beyond. Thanks for listening. This is Sam Ward, Climate Change Unfolding on single-use plastic, not fantastic. This is the climate change unfolding community section at the end of each episode where I add a few bits that people have sent my direction or brought to my attention by email or on Twitter or something like that. Some of the many resources people are engaging me with I'll weave into future episodes. But if it's especially relevant to this episode or if I think that there's something that's interesting that's going to engage people and other people are going to find interesting, I'll share it at the end of the episode, even if it's not directly related. This week, there's so much stuff online and that's really engaging about single-use plastic. All of the things I'm going to talk about are in some way related. So first up this week is the story of a spoon that was put onto me by a friend called Maria. It's a short YouTube video, just a few-minute video, beautifully made, pretty funny, highlights the crazy world we live in. It's made by Greenpeace. Just Google story of a spoon, should come up, or check out the links in the show notes on climatechangeunfolding.com. Check it out, two minutes of your time, pretty funny. It's a crazy world we live in. Second thing I'm going to share with you on this community part is slightly out of the scope of this because this person didn't reach out to me directly because of my podcast, but given the topic covered in this episode and a random Facebook encounter I had this week, I'm going to give a shout out to a podcast called Zero Waste Countdown, run by an old friend called Laura Nash. And through mutual friends feed, there was a discussion about climate change and I was reading through it and I reconnected with Laura, who I only, who I only knew relatively briefly from a kayaking trip in Uganda, maybe 2004 or five, maybe. But she also has a kid now and has also been moved to get active on environmental issues. And her particular goal is zero waste. She set herself some goals. She's given herself a countdown and has made a podcast about it. And so I thought it was you know, too similar to what was going on in my life that uh, not to share and to give a quick shout out. So check it out. I've downloaded the first few episodes. I've listened to a couple and I'm working my way through them as I kayak back and forth across the Nile River to work each day. I live on the opposite side of river to work. So 
If this zero waste stuff is engaging for you, cutting down on single use stuff is close to your heart, check it out. She's got a lot more specific and uh, in detail examples of how you could go about it and some interesting interviews as well. So check it out, Zero Waste Podcast by Laura Nash. Finally, if you've got something you wanna share that you think people will find interesting, send me an email on sam at climatechangeunfolding.com or reach out on Twitter. My handle is at samjamesward. Love to hear from you. And if you do feel inspired to get involved with Plastic Free July, check out the hashtag Plastic Free July. And also let me know if you're getting involved with Plastic Free July. I'd love to hear from you. It's great fun when I hear other people along the journey. And it gives me a bit of extra motivation as well, hearing other people engaging. So love to hear from you. Thanks very much for listening. Let me wrap it up there. This is Sam Ward, Climate Change Unfolding. See you next time.